Arcana Podcast is committed to learning together about the occult understandings and esoteric teachings of ancient wisdom, how to awaken one's consciousness, gaining a better understanding of ourselves and the inner and outer worlds, and the complete development of the human potential. On our own, our mission will be to apply what we have learned here to ourselves as we each traverse down our own spiritual path. May light shine forth into the minds of mankind, and may our trees grow together to the greatest heights. Good evening. Welcome back to Arcana. My name is Lou, and I'm here with you, so thank you again for joining me. We're going to pick up today, or rather tonight, uh, on the Kabbalion series where we left off. We started uh, on the last episode with chapter one, or no, we didn't, I'm sorry, the introduction. And today we'll be picking up with chapter one. So we're just going to jump right in. We're going to do something different this time. I think that it was uh, easier to read read the text and as I come upon something to just talk about it instead of getting to the end and trying to go back uh it just it seems to flow better that way um and we can just do that this whole chapter and see how that goes uh, and go from there so chapter one the hermetic philosophy the lips of wisdom are closed except to the ears of understanding the Kabbalion. from old egypt have come the fundamental esoteric and occult teachings which have so strongly influenced the philosophies of all races, nations, and peoples for several thousand years. Egypt, the home of the pyramids and the Sphinx, was the birthplace of the hidden wisdom and mystic teachings. From her secret doctrine, all nations have borrowed. India, Persia, Chaldea, Madia, China, Japan, Assyria, ancient Greece, and Rome and other ancient countries partook liberally at the Feast of Knowledge, which the Hierophants and the Masters of the Land of Isis so freely provided for those who came prepared to partake of the great store of mystic and occult love, excuse me, lore, which the masterminds of that ancient land had gathered together. In ancient Egypt dwelt the great adepts and masters who have never been surpassed, and who seldom have been equaled. During the centuries that have taken their processional flight since the days of the great Hermes. In Egypt was located the great lodge of lodges of the mystics. At the doors of her temples entered the neophytes who afterwards, as hierophants, adepts, and masters, traveled to the four corners of the earth, carrying with them the precious knowledge which they were ready, anxious, and willing to pass on to those who were ready to receive the same. All the students of the occult recognize the depth that they owe to these venerable masters of that ancient land. But among these great masters of ancient Egypt, there once dwelt one of whom masters hailed as the master of masters. This man, if man he was indeed, dwelt in Egypt in the earliest days. He was known as Hermes Trismegistus. He was the father of occult wisdom, the founder of astrology the discoverer of alchemy. The details of his life story are lost to history, owing to the lapse of the years. Though several of the ancient countries disputed with each other in their claims to the honor of having furnished his birthplace, and this thousands of years ago. 
The date of his sojourn in Egypt, and that his last incarnation on this planet, is not now known, but it has been fixed at the early days of the oldest dynasties of Egypt, long before the days of Moses. Um, a sojourn, uh, by the way, is that that's like to res- take to, to like to have a, like a, li- a lily pad, you could say, for your for your trip, like like a stopping point where you don't stay very long, or or a, it could be a long time, like the. Um, Whenever the Jews were led out of Egypt by Moses, and they they like stayed in the desert, uh, that was a sojourn, right? Because that's not where they ended up. It was just kind of like a spot where they stuck around for a bit and then moved on. So, anyway, moving on. The best authorities regard him as a contemporary of Abraham, and some of the Jewish traditions go as far to claim that Abraham acquired a portion of his mystic knowledge from Hermes himself. They say they say a portion of his mystic knowledge there. I think as the story goes, the other portion is from Melchizedek, that um uh, the jinn of the earth that I mentioned before. Uh there's a whole thing surrounding that guy in, in the mystery of fire. Um we should just do a whole episode on Melchizedek. That, that would be helpful, I think. Maybe further down the road. Um as the years rolled by after his passing from this plane of life tradition recording that he lived 300 years in the flesh, the Egyptians deified Hermes and made him one of their gods under the name of Thoth. Years after, the people of ancient Greece also made him one of their many gods, calling him Hermes, the god of wisdom. The Egyptians revered his memory for many centuries, yes, tens of centuries, calling him the scribe of the gods and bestowing upon him distinctively his ancient title, Trismegistus, which means the thrice great, the great great, the greatest great, etc. <clears throat> In all the ancient lands, the name of Hermes Trismegistus was revered, the name being synonymous with the fount of wisdom. Even to this day, we use the term hermetic in the sense of secret, sealed so that nothing can escape, etc., and this by reason of the fact that the followers of Hermes always observed the principle of secrecy in their teachings. They did not believe in casting pearls before swine, but rather held to the teaching milk for babes and meat for strong men, both of which maxims are familiar to the readers of the Christian scriptures, but both of which had been used by the Egyptians for centuries before the Christian era. And this policy of careful dissemination of the truth has always characterized Hermetics, even unto the present day. The Hermetic teachings are to be found in all lands, among all religions, but never identified with any particular country, nor with any particular religious sect. This because of the warning of the ancient teachers against allowing the secret doctrine to become crystallized into a creed. The wisdom of this caution is apparent to all students of history. The ancient occultism of India and Persia degenerated and was largely lost, owing to the fact that the teachers became priests and so mixed theology with the philosophy, and the result being that the occultism of India and Persia had been gradually lost amidst the mass of religious superstition, cults, creeds, and gods. I'm going to butt in right there. Um, I'm really happy, again, that they pointed something else out that's going to come up in a future episode, that one being creation. Uh, He's speaking here, or they are speaking here on degeneration. 
and this is I think I even mentioned that before. There, there's, it's this thing that happens with nations when they fall. Um, they come into the ancient wisdom or begin with the ancient wisdom where that knowledge and wisdom is pure and then starts to degenerate. And then, as I explained before, you know, Mother Nature will say, well, if you're not going to keep your flame lit, I'll just snuff out your whole country. Just, um, Maybe not snuff them out entirely, because I suppose India is still around, but Persia is gone. But you can see India, uh, a lot of its mysticism has been lost or degenerated. <clears throat> so moving on. Oh, also, also they mentioned, mentioned two words here, theology and philosophy. And I just want to break those words down. Many of you are familiar with these words, but theology is tale or theo and logi. I mentioned the word being this important thing earlier. Uh, logi or logi at the end of the word or at the end of any word. <clears throat> uh, that comes from the Greek logoi. Or, um, yeah, logoi. Logoi means word or words. Logos is word. Uh, so logoi is the words. And then theo or theo is God. It's an old name for God. So you have theology being the words of God. So that's studying the words of God. So looking into religions and whatnot. And then you have philosophy. Philo or philo is love. And sophie is, uh, sophie means wisdom. So you have this Gnostic ideal that whenever God divided, his, his first division was first one, then two. That two was his female counterpart whenever he split into two genders rather than one full unity. And then this first emanation of God was feminine, and her name was Sophia, meaning wisdom. Uh, and there's a whole story behind that that we'll go into again further down the road. But yeah, these two words, theology and philosophy, that's what they mean. The words of God and the love of, of wisdom. Um, moving on. So it was, and so they're talking about this degeneration, right? So he says, so it was with ancient Greece and Rome. So it was with the hermetic teachings of the Gnostics and early Christians, which were lost at the time of Constantine, whose iron hand smothered philosophy with the blanket of theology, losing to, losing to the Christian church, that which was its very essence and spirit, and causing it to grope throughout several centuries before it found the way back to its ancient faith. The indications apparent to all careful observers in this 20th century being that the church is now struggling to get back to its ancient mystic teachings. I don't know if any of you remember history class or you know paid much attention to it, but even if you didn't, that's okay because I get to explain stuff to you. Constantine, ooh, uh, that name gives me chills. He um, He was the first... Uh, Roman emperor to switch to Christianity. And he did that. It, it, there's this thing that happened. In, it was known as the Constantine shift. And it's when he outlawed the persecution of Christians. And the Christians were split in that time. There was kind of like the uh, like Orthodox, like um, what do you call it? Uh, Catholic church sort of deal. And then there was uh, those in hiding, which were more along the Gnostics lines or the Essenes. 
but all of those were kind of grouped into one thing called Christians, and they were hunted and persecuted. Um, anyway, Constantine stopped that. Uh, I don't think it was for any specific good reason. He's, he was not known to be the... Uh, well, let's just say he was kind of a crazy psycho person. Like he, 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 he killed, he murdered his wife and his, uh, his mom for, um, continuing to be pagan. They wouldn't switch to Christianity. I think he burned them both alive. Maybe he boiled one and burned one at the stake. I don't remember, but yeah, brutal, brutal person. He's also the guy that wrote, or he, he held the council of Nicaea, which is where they kind of rewrote the Bible. That's where we got the Bible that we have today. But that wasn't the original Bible. The original Bible was written in Greek. And uh, its true Greek translations uh, are very different from the Bible that we get. Um, yeah. I should try and find a copy of that. See if I can find like some sort of internet copy that all of us can look at. That would be, that'd be really good. Um, I'm off on a tangent again. Let's get back to the book. Um, but there were always a few faithful souls who kept alive the flame and to point out here the flame is capitalized like capital f flame but there were always a few faithful souls who kept alive the flame tending it carefully and not allowing its light to become extinguished and thanks to these staunch hearts and fearless minds we have the truth still with us but it is not found in books to any great extent it has been passed along from master to student, from initiate to hierophant, to hierophant, from lip to ear. When it was written down at all, its meaning was veiled in terms of alchemy and astrology, so that only those possessing the key could read it aright. There's uh, also another reason why they did this. So, um, there was the whole persecution of magic users in that time. Uh, this was after Constantine and the conversion from Rome of Rome to Christianity, it became a thing of like hunting down magic users, burning them, whatever. Uh, it's so of course that grouped in any alchemist or, uh, or a lot of the star cults at the time actually as well that were doing these same teachings. So they got away with it by claiming to be men of the book. So when these persecutors or, you know, angry mob, what have you come and knock pounding on their door they run and grab their bible off the bookshelf and they come and answer their door with the bible and they're like hello would you like to hear the word of god and blah 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 and then these people were like oh aren't you don't you look at stars and they said oh yeah we look at stars for science but we are we are we are men of the book and that's kind of how they would get by um without being persecuted and if they want if these people wanted to come look at their books they'd open them up and they'd see all these symbols and gobbledygook and just be like okay whatever crazy wizards we're out of here y'all have a good night and bounce out this was made necessary in order to avoid the persecutions of the theologians of the middle ages who fought the secret doctrine with fire and sword stake gibbet and cross even to this day there will be found a few there will be found but few reliable books on the hermetic philosophy although there are countless references to it in many books written on various phases of occultism. And yet, the Hermetic philosophy is the only master key which will open all the doors of the occult teachings. In the early days, there was a compilation of certain 
basic hermetic doctrines passed from teachers to student, which was known as the Kabbalion. The exact significance and meaning of the terms have been lost for several centuries. This teaching, however, is known to many is known to many to whom it has descended from mouth to ear, on and on throughout the centuries. Its precepts have never been written down or printed, so far as we know. It was merely a collection of maxims, axioms, and precepts, which were non-understandable to outsiders, but which were readily understood by students after the axioms, maxims, and precepts had been explained and exemplified by the hermetic initiates to their neophytes. These teachings really constituted the basic principles of the art of hermetic, al of hermetic alchemy. The art there is... Uh, is capitalized as well, like capital capital A art. Um, if you've ever heard of the art of the arts, <clears throat> that's magic. Um, that is alchemy. It is uh, the minor and major mysteries of the Lucinian mysteries, right? It's it's that is all was referred to as the art. And there was this thing with the whole school of Pythagoras, right? You had you had to attain a certain level of understanding of math and as well as what is the right word i guess high art like the high arts you know like um you see these beautiful like paintings and inventions and all of this this is from initiates a lot of the time um but yeah the art the art is what we are studying it's not like just painting or kind of classical art that we would think of today um so these teachings really constituted the basic principles of the art of hermetic alchemy, which, contrary to general belief, dealt in the mastery of mental forces rather than material elements, the transmutation of one kind of mental vibration into others, instead of the changing of one kind of metal into another. The legends of the philosopher's stone, which would turn base metal into gold, was an allegory relating to hermetic philosophy readily understood by all students of true hermeticism. Um, absolutely. I would, um, I have read, you know, I, would see, I haven't seen it, I haven't seen it, but I have it in good faith that uh, a master alchemist, someone who has mastered it, can in fact uh, change uh, base metal into gold. But that would, uh, you know, just because they can doesn't mean necessarily that they would. I feel like a master would be pretty, you know, humble, hopefully, and maybe not needs gold unless he, like, I don't know. You can think of a, a situation for me there. We'll just move on. <laughs> um, in this little book, of which this is the first lesson, we invite our students to examine into the Hermetic teachings as set forth in the Kabbalion and as explained by ourselves, humble students of the ancient teachings, who, while bearing the title of initiates, are still students at the feet of Hermes, the master. We herein give you many of the axioms, excuse me, we herein give you many of the maxims, axioms, and precepts of the Kabbalion, accompanied by explanations and illustrations, which we deem likely to render the teachings more easily comprehended by the modern student, particularly as the original text is purposely veiled in obscure terms. The original maxims, axioms, and precepts of the Kabbalion are printed herein 
and quotation marks, the proper, the proper credit given. Our own work is printed in the regular way, in the body of the work. We trust that many students to whom we now offer this little work will derive as much benefit from the study of its pages as have the many who have gone before, treading the same path to mastery throughout the centuries that have passed since the times of Hermes Tresmagestus, the master of masters, the great great. In the words of the Kabbalion, where fall the footsteps of the master, the ears of those ready for his teaching open wide, the Kabbalion. When the ears of the student are ready to hear, then cometh the lips to fill them with wisdom, the Kabbalion. So that according to the teachings, the passage of this book to those ready for the instruction will attract the attention of such as are prepared to receive the teaching. And likewise, when the pupil is ready to receive the truth, then will this little book come to him or her. Such is the law, and the law there is again in capitalized. The hermetic principle of cause and effect in its aspect of the law of attraction will bring lips and ear together, pupil and book and company. So mote it be. All right, that is a wrap for chapter one, and that is a wrap for this episode. Uh, I did mention that it would be shorter than the previous episode, and that is purely on the account of time. I have to go to bed. I'm very sleepy. I got to get up for work in the morning. And uh, thank you for working with me while I'm trying to figure out this scheduling of when and where to fit this in, because I'm loving it. Um, and this is only like part of the game. This is like, you could separate it into thirds. Like, this is a third of it. Uh, another third of it is me studying, and then another third of me is is me putting it into practice. So there's these three different things, and then all of that amongst normal life, and then work. Which I'm sure if you all are listening and doing this, you're doing it too. So you you get it. I mean, maybe you don't have your own uh, podcast going on, but uh, yeah, you're a busy person just like me. We're all humans, you know. Um, hmm. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for listening. Uh, be happy. Be well, be wise. And may light shine forth into the minds of mankind. I love you. Good night.